first of all, thanks for coming and uh, chatting so that we can record our chat and people yeah. can listen in. And what, what I think would be great is um, just to talk about how you just about your journey, you know, like how you came to do what you do and 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 what it is you do. So sure. um, people can get a picture of, um, of what you're up to and who you are. That'd be brilliant. Sure. So, so we've, we've got seven hours. <laughs> You know, because it's a long story, isn't it? How do you do that? How do you edit your story and get it down? Like, yeah, mm. I know it's it's a long. Um, I find as well, it's not just the how did you start thing, which is such a long time ago now. It's also what is it that you do? Because for me, that's really broad as well. There's lots of different aspects to it. So yeah. <laughs> So uh, thanks for asking me on as, as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just love what, I, I love doing this. I, I really love it. And I've seen such shifts in it. You've, you'll be the same, I think. I've seen such shifts in it in the time that I've worked in it as well. So, but just now I particularly appreciate that this is what I've devoted my life to, actually. I think I can really see how worthwhile it is and and uh, what a change there is in society now. I see lots and lots of things changing for the better. But yeah, back when I, how did I get into it? I was brought up with an awareness of how powerful natural medicine could be because two of my relatives back in my grandmother's generation attended a naturopath. So who helped them with very serious illnesses. One of them was diphtheria. And, um, and the naturopath helped them both a great deal. And so they had their, I think it was my granny, had some of her ration books in the health food shop in Glasgow in the Second World War. So I, I grew up with the link between health and, and food, which doesn't sound startling now, but when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, I grew up in Scotland, uh, the west of Scotland. It's not renowned for its healthy diet. In fact, living in Glasgow was one of the top 10 reasons to die of heart disease. <laughs> so I, I, I grew up with that connection and I was working in Edinburgh when I was about 19 or 20 and I got eczema for the first time and I went to a herbalist and as soon as I walked through the door of the shop stroke clinic I just knew that was it then that was a lightning bolt for me I knew that was what I wanted to do and um but that was 1997 maybe so it took two years to even find a course in herbal medicine because the internet existed but um I heard, you know very few people were on it back then and in in the end I came across courses quite by accident and I wrote off to um it was the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. I wrote off to them and said, where do you do your courses? I'm prepared to move just about anywhere. And they sent me back a list and I went to Preston. So I went to the, uh, uh, the, the University of Central Lancashire, which is Preston Polytechnic and, uh, <laughs> and nursing school uh, and, um, and, and studied herbal medicine there. So, I mean, it wasn't that I chose, because people now will say to me, oh, which course do you recommend? And I'm like, because there's so much choice now. Whereas when I was 
looking, I, I just literally wrote to the one thing that I found. It took me two years to find it and, and off I went. And so my training was all about running a clinic, you know, it was a degree in herbal medicine and it was all about, you know, running a clinic, which I did. I, I moved, I, I live in Ireland and I moved here three, two days after qualified, I think. I moved on the 1st of July, so I've just had my anniversary again <laughs> and in 2003 and set up my clinic and I did it full time for years. Uh, and but. But lots of things happened and and I, I find I have to change the balance of my work a lot. And there's a lot of different factors in that, which is why I've gone into working in so many different things. But I started to teach in May 2004. That was my first ever workshop I was asked to teach. And I just sat down and I thought, what is it that I wish somebody had shown me? And I wrote the outline for the class and that's how I write everything. And I've been teaching for 16 years now and it was at an organic garden. So we did a foraging walk in the morning and I pointed out some of the medicinal plants and we picked, I can still tell you what we picked because I was so nervous. And I rang the gardeners in advance to see what was plentiful and what I could use because I didn't even drive back then. I had to get a lift out to my own course. So I couldn't go and scope out and see what was there. So there were loads of roses and we made a, a rose cream and we made thyme cough syrup. And, but we, go out, we went out in the morning and did a hair book and picked some of them and made teas and tinctures and syrup and, and oil and, and cream. And... Um, that class has run every year for uh, 16 years uh, and, uh, I, and it just expanded. And for me, it was really, really important that to break down all these barriers between what things actually are. And it was really important that people went from plant to pot in the day and they left with something in bottles and jars that had literally come from the garden. And um, that, you know, there weren't very many people interested back then. And now, of course, it's just it, it, the interest in it has has exploded. But so so I so I all of my life is working with plants that are medicinal, edible and can be used in like skincare and deodorants and things like that. And I teach people from total beginners to professionals like um, specialists, CPD and, and, and training courses for, for, for professionals. But wherever people are on that scale, it's all about local plants. It's all about using the stuff that's on your doorstep, whether it's to add, chuck into a salad so that it's more nutritious for you or it's more tasty, or you're rustling up something for the sniffles or a sore throat, or, it, or you're developing some sort of professional product. You know, it's all about the stuff that's on the doorstep because it seems crazy to me that these things grow prolifically and people don't know that they're there or or they have because nobody showed them to them they've got land and they don't know what's there and they go out and they spray it and they buy stuff from yeah. garden centers from the other side of the world and go put all this effort into having that stuff there and when you start to break down these barriers and show people what's there then it you know it transforms their experience of where they live uh, and um and it reduces it, it, it reduces environmental damage it, it 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 makes everything healthier uh, and um you know people don't know what they don't know and they're usually fascinated to discover that they're 
their garden or their fields or whatever are just full of wild food and, uh, and remedies. And then you don't need to lecture people about weed killer because they stop seeing them as weeds and want them to be there. So for me as well, I think I've always, you know, I, I joined Greenpeace when I was 12. So I was an environmentalist first and was regarded as very strange for that uh, at that time. So that was, what was that, 1989, 1990, something like that, where I, I grew up, it was, uh, I, I, there wasn't anybody else, you know, uh, um, with, with that uh, interest or, and I've always understood, I, I don't understand people who can harm, who can harm the planet and, and who can, I don't understand it. I just cannot, I've always been able to sense it. I've always been able to sense the earth's pain. I, I find, I remember the first time I saw something really industrial and it really, I still remember it. And uh, like a big refinery or something. I still remember the shock of it and the impact of, of it. And for me, it's just, um, it's just about treasuring the earth. And, and I don't mean conservation. I don't mean conserving everything and not, not touching anything. I, I mean, when you flick, the, when, when you realize that you're part of nature and it's not just that you can you can learn about it and, and there's a nice thing that you know about the names of things, it's when you realize that you actually are nature and you mm. can be a really positive part of it and enhance it, that's, that's really transformative. It's not that you can take things without harming it, it's that you can actually improve the environment and, and the planet, that's a really big thing. So. Sorry, what was the question? How did yeah, I become no, a herbalist? I, I think it's much better. The flow is much better than the than the than the than the, the mechanical answer to a question. Definitely, that's beautiful. And 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 you know, I mean, I I think this thing to me, I see like human beings as the crowning glory, you know, of of creation. I think it's it's a terrible thing that we've ended up with this almost like Catholic guilt of. Uh, original sin you know that we somehow feel that we're like a pollutant and a cancer on the face of the earth Yay. you know and i do understand like it's because it's related to your shock at the site of that industrial thing you know yeah people have brought that kind of stuff into into play which wasn't there before and it is sabotaging the the fa and corrupting the fabric of life there's no doubt about that but that's us being lost you know yeah humans that are not lost humans that have found their place again Humans that have settled down into that hollow of, of a niche, you know, under the under the under the sort of shadow of of like the nurturing wing of creation, you know. Yeah. When we're settled down in that place, we are something, as you say, that that I believe there's a purpose for us being here that we're supposed to enhance. Yeah. Uh, and and so, and so we kind of you know we we need to value ourselves like that that we are this organic marvel, you know, that the human body. And then the the, 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 the the incredible intricacy of how human bodies interweave with other people's bodies in these kind of co-creation of, of social spaces and, mm -hmm. and, and and everything else and how we interweave with, with, with creation when we're in our place. It's a glorious thing. But the point is we've got to get back in, haven't we? Like we, we've, yeah. we've, we've, we've got completely out of our niche. We've got out of kilter and we're like spasming around on the floor, kicking and breaking things because, because we're out. We've just got to get back in. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's really lovely to hear you speak that way about it. And um, 
Yeah, I hadn't thought of it being related to that sort of guilt before, but you're you're absolutely right. And it bothers, I tell you what bothers me, when people say, we have done this to the planet, we have done that, and I just sit there and I think, I haven't. I've spent my life, <laughs> I've spent my life trying to make it better. Don't we this and we that, you know? And and uh, it's, um, it doesn't take much to connect people back in again, you know? And it doesn't take much to care for things and enhance them and make things better. And then you go from being something that's sort of destructive through lack of awareness or, or you know, because if people yeah. haven't been taught about these things or grow up, I mean, the Industrial Revolution was really what changed everything and, and took people from living living on the land to you know in in towns and cities and, and in factories for 14 hour days and totally totally disconnected you know so um it, it's just it's just lovely to bring people back to it and bring people back to it simply and this the smallest simplest steps reconnect us it, it, you're never alone i think when you've got this for me, I look forward to my friends reappearing every spring, you know, the plants coming back. And I genuinely, I'm out looking in March, I'm like, is it back yet? When are they back yet? You know, so you're never alone. You see them. For me, it transformed my experience of living in cities, actually, yeah. watching these these plants the herbs grow up through the litter and the cracks in the pavement uh, uh, and uh, and the and the rats and debris and all, all the rest of it that, that, that there was uh, and um and and in november i remember seeing this little red i remember seeing some red clover creeping up through the litter through crisp packets along the side of the pavement that was grotty in, in november and i remember looking at it and going wow you know it was off season, it was just growing through this adversity and, and just doing its thing. And I find so much inspiration in them and just that you're you're never alone. And and the things that are so bad for for the emotional and mental health of humans are I think most of it comes from disconnection and, and isolation and loneliness yeah. and where you tune into this. You're, I don't think you're ever alone again, you know, never mind how, how herbs help on, on emotions and all the rest of it, but just being able to recognise them, it brings such hope and inspiration and in really bleak circumstances sometimes. Yeah, Do you know, I'm searching around for, for, for um, a metaphor that will, that will describe what, um, what I can see when we're talking about this out and back in thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you said it's so easy to um, to to reconnect people, and I'm I've, I've got this sort of thing in my mind's eye that there's this. I'll try and describe the picture I'm seeing. It's it's like here's this thing that's 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 kind of out, and it's kind of uh, full of full of a sort of chaotic energy because it's out. And then someone picks it up. Someone's able to pick it up, embrace it, and just bring it back near to say its hole or its burrow or something like that. And then there's this incredible dynamic energy, like it's a vacuum sucking it in, and it just goes right back in. <laughs> I don't know what it is I'm seeing, but that, that, that's the metaphor that I'm trying to find a, a thing to hang it on, you know, like a, 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 an, an, 
and this isn't the, the right metaphor, but it, it, it's the closest thing I can think of that's a bit like that. So we watched this video the other day, David Attenborough thing about a, um, a kangaroo being born. Mm. And of course, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing. Uh, have you ever seen this? You know, yeah, don't start people. me yeah. about kangaroos. They give, they're okay. huge and they give birth to a worm. <laughs> yeah. unlike, unlike humans, <laughs> have a really hard time getting a bowling ball out of an arrow gap. <laughs> kangaroos are enormous and give birth to a worm. <laughs> Easy peasy. Yeah, you'd, you'd yeah. rather be a kangaroo. Yeah. yeah. Kangaroo mums have have have, uh, have got it sussed, haven't they? Like, they let's do it the easy way. And then who has to do the work? That the little that little worm, that little yeah. tiny embryo, basically crawls all the way up mum and into into the pouch. Yeah. But I just feel like there's something about that, like this homing instinct, like yeah. like turtles that find their way back thousands of miles to the beach where they hatched yeah. out an egg. We've got that, and and yeah. then not just one more one more metaphor. It's like magnetism. You know, it's like yeah. there's a magnet, North and South Pole, put them near each other. You don't have to say, come on, you need to go over there. Like, uh, again, it's that same kind of, I, I like making this noise. Ali always laughs when I make this noise. <clears throat> you know, like that. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's that connection. This, this thing is going where it's meant to be and it's yeah. finding its home. You know, like that, the magnet is pulled towards, you know, and we have this magnetism that is uh, between us and, and the living world, between us and other people. And the thing that I marvel at over and over again is that it was possible to sabotage that. Yeah. It was possible to undo that connection so that people would just be scattered and splintered and, and dispersed and not rooted, you know, because everything about our biology says be part of it, be whole, be together, participate, integrate, you know, everything about our biological being and our spiritual being, if you, if you want to, you know, which I think is inseparable. Yeah biological being but 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 you know is 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 pulling us in that direction you know so so the fact that, so that the, the industrial system was able to um do something that that successfully created a divorce between us and the rest of creation i, th I think is the incredible thing yeah because that magnetism is still there or that pull that 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 you know, weaving. There's a there's a there's an unstoppable weaving. You know, between living things that that if we just mess around for a minute and expose ourselves to it, we get woven back in. You know, like and yeah. and, and it's so strong. Yeah. Um, but but and yet we are working against that industrial um, power or that industrial. I don't know what it is. The the sabotage facility that somehow has been. Uh, Cause to exist in, 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 in and, and, and is severing the links between human beings and um, and the rest of the biosphere, you know, that monster that we're against. You know. I think that's a brilliant observation, and I think it came where people were convinced that a new idea was better than what they've been doing for thousands of years, and, and the new idea was, you know, massive amounts of profit, wasn't it? If you're talking about the Industrial Revolution, and that then seemed yeah. to breed the yeah. attitude that whatever somebody, it didn't really matter what somebody was doing, as long as they were making lots of money, then it was justifiable. And I, I remember some, there's a, there was a phrase where, um, where I grew up, probably in other parts of Britain as well, where somebody was described as having a good job. And I remember a 
a relative describing somebody as having a good job and I said well he's got a well-paid job whether or not that same thing as a good job is debatable <laughs> you know and, and it was just uh, that that was certainly in the culture where I grew up that it was a, a good job because it was it was well paid not that it was actually something good and, and worthwhile and I, I think with everything that's that's happening it's kind of it's really coming around now people are people want to do something worthwhile with their life they want their lives to be worthwhile and they're you know i mean i grew up in thatcher's britain you know you know it was um, it was grim you know it was grim and and all that you know the loads of money character and things like that that was do you remember that that was what it was it is good yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's great to see that dissolving, um, really, because trade is a, is, a, is a beautiful thing when it's done properly and, and uh, you know, it, it connects cultures and, uh, and uh, brings wonderful things together from around the world and, and, and mixes cultures and, and all sorts of things. But where it's, I don't understand why people set up that chain without paying everybody properly treating everything with respect all the way along it i don't understand i don't understand why these people who are are um i don't understand i don't understand why people say i'll just spit it out i don't understand why people think steve jobs was so great when you know he he had all this money and he didn't and his phone sold for a fortune and and yet you know all the bits of the chain the the, the people who were out um mining for the things that went into them weren't paid properly and and there's you know there's all the issues that there are with child labor and things with that why not just pay everybody in the chain properly you know I, I just I don't understand exploitation I think is what I'm coming to and when you work with nature you realize how much work goes into everything and and, and uh, fair trade is, is reality for you it's not uh, some cozy little notion and um People, people will say to me, "This is coming more to ingredients and and different different things that I'm working with." And they'll say, "Oh, fair trade and organic's very expensive." And I say, "No, fair trade and organic is actually the real price. Everything else yeah. is artificially low because of exploitation, exploitation of the land through." Uh, you know, harmful chemicals being used on it and exploitation of the people through low wages or slave labour. You know, I'm not talking about whether or not you can afford to buy fair trade and organic everything for yourself, but I want to make it clear that that is the real price of producing everything and everything else is artificially low. So it's um, when you connect people back in, yeah, it was shattered. I think, I think like, it was shattered that connection that people had by I think it comes along sometimes in history where somebody comes along and has a new idea and convinces people that this new idea is better than what what happened before but it seems to be coming full circle now where people are really 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 coming back to nature and wanting to do something worthwhile with their life if it's not enough to to just be earning money it's wanting to do something um wanting it to be meaningful 
and and also the, the, the all the all the mental health problems and all, all the rest of it so much of that just comes from disconnection and having something meaningful in people's lives just turns it around you know nobody wants to feel nobody wants to feel useless and not not worth anything and i think when you link back into all of this again you're just never on your own again yeah 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 it took me a long time to realize what 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 um my experience as a child which i spent a lot of time walking around in wild spaces and and so on um uh, you know a lot of time it's, it's taken me to kind of fairly recently to, to, to understand clearly that what I was experiencing there was like an interpersonal space that, you know, I did feel like, you know, I had an emotional experience in, in seeing the landscape or, or certain plants or, and uh, especially birds. I was really into bird watching. So when I'd see certain birds, the ones that had been away and come back for the summer now or, or that only came through in the autumn or something like that. I mean, you don't analyze what you're feeling at the time. But looking back, I can see that, that that was that was an interpersonal space. You know, you'd see these 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 other beings that that, that and 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 even even the landscape itself, feeling like a kind of held. You know, like you're being held, like you're being um, accepted. You know, yeah, like that, that, that that sort of thing. You know, it, it's it's just never would have occurred to me. Or all, all, all I knew was, I guess I'd have been conscious of the fact that it felt good. You know, want to get yeah. on my bike. And, get out there, you know, on a Saturday morning. I'd, I'd go and do that and wander around for hours. But I wanted to ask, like, because you mentioned about mental health just then. The last time we spoke, you, you, you said you were digging around into the, into the stuff about the vagus nerve. Is that... Is that um, right, okay, I haven't, I haven't the time to read what you sent me, but yeah, I'm doing one of the... Uh, um, I've got several projects on the go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've got several books that I'm writing, actually, and the clinical one I'm writing is, um, so it's for um, herbalist running clinics and other you know, practitioners of other things as well, but it's, it's yeah. about um, herbal medicine for, um, I haven't quite honed the title, but basically for dealing with trauma and yeah. the emotional side of things, because that's a huge chunk of the work that I've done in my clinic over the years. I've dealt with a lot of really, um, well, it's no secret that the history of abuse that there was in Ireland was massive yeah. uh, via the, 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 the legacy of sexual abuse that went on was massive. And I've, I've dealt with, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to go into specifics because I've always worked in small places and I, I've, I've uh, got to preserve anonymity for everyone. Uh, um, but um, I've dealt with lot masses of that. And um, I... It, it, it never fails to amaze me how supportive and how transformative it can be working with herbs when people are in their are in their the most difficult times of their their lives if they're if somebody's terminally ill or dying or or, or somebody's grieving or um they're going through really horrendous times or they're recovering they're 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 out the other side of the actual wretched thing happening and they're recovering so i'm writing again the irony is herbs are herbs are just they're 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 great i i find for um 
for for the emotions and, and uh, helping people during these really traumatic times. But um, anyway, I'm I'm writing a, a a clinical book for that for practitioners and and how to help um, when people present in the clinic and in, in really deep d distress. So um, and I will never fail to be totally in awe. I think of um, you know. Roses and meadow sweet and some of the things I've got be behind me here and, and how such simple things can be of such comfort and uh, healing to people during some of the most traumatic and turbulent times of their lives. I, I coupled with that human beings are dynamic and, and have the capacity to uh, recover from the most wretched things uh, 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 and um, live a completely different life as well. So it's um, the, the, that area of that. That's the thing I feel I, I want. That, that's what I'm writing the clinical book about. Yeah. <laughs> what? So what's the? Um, could you say a bit more about the rose and the meadow sweet? What? What? What they're doing and and how? Yeah, I mean. Um, I use them. I, I love, yeah, I love ro roses. Are my favourite. I couldn't run my the the. I couldn't do the work I've done in my clinic over the years without that herb. And um, I use it in tincture form. I use the the aromatic water, the the distilled water, the hydrosol. I use the essential oil. I use. I, I make infused oil. Um, I I just find. There's there's a lot more research done actually on <clears throat> on essential oils and uh, and the emotions and the brain and things. That's where the the research has been done. But there's the the, the bit with actual herbal extracts isn't there isn't anything like that that work done there yet. And but I find that <clears throat> roses are first of all they're 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 safe. You know they're very safe extracts to take. So. Um, in, in terms of the clinic, if, if somebody's coming in <clears throat> and they might be taking sleeping tablets or antidepressants to get them through some sort of really difficult time, then, you know, if you're giving them a few extracts of roses, there's no issue with interacting with drugs. So for a start, it's a really safe. This is one of the things I love about them when we're talking about using them for the emotions is they're so safe. It's so different to... Um, when you, if you, if you go to the, the, um, go down the conventional route for, for this kind yeah. of thing, it's much blunter and, and it's not, I'm not, this is not a criticism. It, this is not a, a criticism. There only is what there is down that route just now. And it's, um, you know, uh, antidepressants, sleeping tablets, are you having panic attacks or there, there, there isn't any, um, there isn't any discernment between people can have anxiety, people can have pan panic attacks, people can not quite feel like themselves and have have these really disorientating experiences, which can be sort of like mild panic attacks. There's there's all there's a whole range of human emotions, and um, but the but the the medical box at the moment is are you depressed or 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 are you at psychosis level because they're the the areas that will be medicated, you know. Whereas there's a whole different range of emotions that that human beings feel at different times, and what I 
I, I love this that herb, the, the herbs that I'd be looking at using in the clinic or things are so safe. You know, mm. they're, they're so safe and they can be so kind and so transformative and comforting and, and, and effective. But um, I, I, so I just love them. So roses, I mean, the, the, the aroma can definitely, the, the effect of, of smell, scent, memory uh, and releasing emotions from the body and and damage you know there's there trauma is where trauma is stored in the brain there's something about scent that uh, and, and memory that aromatic herbs can can touch in and access that and um yeah i mean i've got bits the rose. yeah i mean i make i make infused oil of roses so so this is just rose petals. You dry them, any aromatic roses, anything in the Rosa family, yeah? And you just dry them and stick them in a carrier oil. So that's like sunflower oil or almond oil or something and, and uh, leave them to infuse. And then they're very different to essential oil. They're really, they're really, really sustainable for a, for a start. You don't need, you only need small amounts of, of the, the plant to make a lot of the infused oil and they're different to essential oils because essential oils are the chemicals that jump up when you distill them so if you take the lid off a bottle of essential oil I can smell that just waving it under my nose but with infused oil you, you can't you need to um you need to massage it on to actually for the aroma to start to be re released because it's the heat of the skin and things and it's mm. it's so soothing and comforting and um it, it, i i use it for tension headaches and and stress to help to relieve those anything where the body's hanging on to anxiety um but then when we're taking them as tinctures they're not you know it's not particularly the 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 smell that's um the thing there but there's there's something about the the roses and other i'll come on to meadow sweet and the other ones as well but roses we do use on the heart for lots of different reasons in herbal medicine but i i just find them profound and and so kind and um we just need things to help us transform you know humans are, are just they're so dynamic and and most of the time with trauma it's come from some external <laughs> most of the time people don't do it to themselves you know it tends to happen to people when they're at a stage of life quite often a child where they're too vulnerable to protect themselves that's not that person's fault you know trauma is very often the messed up behavior of other things <laughs> you know and the person who's traumatized well, might often just be the one who's unlucky enough to be there at the time and so there's huge potential for people to change and transform can i just say that <clears throat> just just very briefly just 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 for people listening in case that trauma is a new subject I think it's always important to also bring in the fact that, that a lot of people are traumatized rather than by what people did do. Um, they're traumatized by, by neglect. Yeah. So there's a whole thing of learning how to be a human being, which yeah. when people are not modeling that to you and they're leaving you with your, um, you know, the, you're having to face growth stages and, and deal with navigate life things as a child that you're supposed to be modeling. You're supposed to be having that modeled. How do, how do I go through that? You're supposed to be partnered. How do I go through that? When people don't have that and they're left to, to cope with 
fairly basic things, but they're basic things that they're supposed to encounter in life with the partnership or with having had it modeled to them by others. So just, I think it's just important to get that one in there because some people might feel, well, I feel traumatized, but nobody ever did anything to me as such. I oh to- yeah, no, I mean, there's loads of reasons. There's there's loads yeah. of things that cause uh, trauma, you know, just absolutely loads of things. And uh, people, people quite often, there's quite often a phase where people don't aren't even aware of it. I think becoming aware of it is a really important thing, and that's a really good example of it. But yeah, there's there's loads of reasons for for trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, but um, I I think with the plants again uh, and the work the ways of working with them, it's connecting us back in again. It's connecting. Mm-hmm. It's connecting us back into ourself and our soul, but it's connecting us into nature and the wider world too. And I, I just yeah. think there are loads of levels that they, they help they help that way. Yeah. Well, so so to, I mean that's just making me think. Having having sort of mapped out that scenario of of what childhood ought to be, that you have these other people around you that that are helping you um, just come forth you know how to, how to you know as, as a as a human being to, to, to move through these stages of now I'm able to navigate this and and feel okay about it now I'm able to to do this and feel competent you know I'm, I'm, I'm people are being kind to me so I can be kind to myself all of this back and forthness of becoming a, a, a human being as, as you grow and mature just what you were saying there with with herbs being this factor in the in the um, the healing of trauma it just suddenly made me think of of herbs or plants or other other species in our environment they are like parents and siblings and peers and and members of the tribe too insofar as it's our experience of those smells and textures and sights you know that that we would have contact with those as a normal organism as a normal animal just moving around through the lands we would have of these we'd sniff this touch that feel this hear that and that would also be part of the back and forthness that would help us become, you know, a human being. So, so it, it's almost like your long lost Auntie Joan, you know. Yeah. If only Auntie Joan had been there when you were a child, when mum yeah. and dad were a bit hard or didn't get you, Auntie Joan would have been there and she did get you and she'd said, no, the reason Viv's doing that or the reason Miles is doing that and, and you'd have had that. You know, these, these plants are like those kind of members of the family. And, and, and we missed out, you know, most of us, like going back to this industrial thing, we missed out on having a normal childhood that had smells and textures and, and, and the experience of, of these other things. So it's like, it's like Auntie Joan finally rocking up on the scene. When, when, <laughs> when, you, prescribe, when you prescribe your rose oil to someone, they're thinking, yeah. where's this been all my life? Well, they yeah. all have had from the outset, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's, um, well, I mean, I think every generation makes things better in the world. You know, when you come into, when you come into planet Earth and when you leave planet Earth, there's always some things that are much better and some things that are a bit worse, you know, but right. I think with a lot more awareness of all of this now, you know, and we're not a generation that's traumatized from having been conscripted to go and fight in a war you know so we've got we, we're reaping the benefits now of people who have done so much work on this awareness and uh, um, 
developing better ways of behaving and treating each other, you know, and um, and uh, setting healthier ways of living with each other. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it's funny actually. I keep, uh, the meadow sweets. The meadow sweet I find is whenever I point that out on walks to people. Now I don't know if this is just because I'm I'm in Ireland and so many people did grow up on the land here or have even if they were in cities they had family relatives that they went to in the holidays and so the country the smell of plants is familiar to them but meadow sweet when i get people on walks and i get them to smell that they go oh that takes me back to childhood and i don't know right. if it's the plant or that it's the connection it's here because so many people still are the connection to the land hasn't hasn't severed the way it did in in the UK I would say um so but meadowsweet is something that goes into childhood for for people and and I don't mean specifically their memories but their childhood I think it takes you into that daisies do it as well D daisies do it as well that joyful childhood mm. energy D daisies and meadowsweet do it it's fascinating uh, I uh I'm fascinated by that aspect of them. Yeah. But the aroma, I've got this isn't this is meadow sweet oil. The aroma. Okay. Have you ever made that? It's just infused right. oil of of dry, so dry the flowers and the upper leaves, and again make an infused oil. And the aroma of meadow sweet oil is divine. I could just feel it doing all sorts of stuff in my brain. It's amazing stuff. Wow. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I've made it into balm as well. And um, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. I, I, and where you're, um, I find there's something, there's something about the sweetness and the, 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 the innocent, joyful, optimistic childhood energy, childlike energy that it taps into, that's really, really useful for people. Hmm when things are difficult and, and and if you take that moment of you know before you get dressed apply that on and I particularly like to massage it over my heart and just breathe in the aroma it's very centering and it really connects you to a very good place and then you're, you you can go off and cope with the day you know but I I find these things absolutely profound yeah wow. <laughs> Yeah, that is a lovely one to make. You should make that. <laughs> Get something to funny, make it. It's funny. You, um, so we just did four episodes of the podcast around vagus nerve trauma, things like that. Right. So we're, we're supposed to change the subject now. Sorry. <laughs> I'll ask you the vagus question. Um, but, uh, no, it's great. It just goes to show there's, there's this whole other other dimension to it so what 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 i was just thinking there was um we had this lady deb dana who's who's done uh, a lot of work to take this amazing polyvagal theory and and apply it in practical ways for therapy to sort of un, un, unpick people's trauma knots and and yeah and, and help people move into that that space and you're describing that innocent childlike space and 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 that soothing and, and comfort from from using these two herbs that you've just um, emphasised very, very much with the Meadowsweet and the Rose. But it just makes me think of a question. So Deb, we, we had a few of us, like there was my sister and my daughter, all kind of participated in this chat. So she did this thing with us saying, 
what makes you feel and she was talking about the ventral vagal thing which is basically that that flow space that social space that really lovely grounded and it's it, i think it is the same as what you're talking about this innocent childlike wonderful space and she was saying what other things she well she was she, what did she do she said what's a place what's a person and what's a time so so we were saying things like well when i get in my bed at night and lie down ah you know yeah that's a ventral vagal social engagement space or you know ella said when i play with my guinea pigs and my sister said when i play with my big sister and uh, not play what am i talking about anything to say when i when i talk to my big sister so it's things like that um but it just made me realize that that you're describing um herbs that you can just get out and say okay i need to find myself into a particular space yeah this ventral vagal space is actually it's something you can access by, by using particular herbs i think that's that's really lovely yeah that's uh, that's a lovely thing to do and it's interesting to hear that exercise she got you doing. And one of the things I recommend to people when they are sort of uh, really struggling with the trauma is they write down a list of things that they love to do, just that light them up, that they love to do, and that they pull out that when they when they're when they're in that really difficult time they pull out that list and they do one of the things from it and the more you can do that the more you you spark your light and your light gets stronger you know but i find then combining it with the the herbs is just really 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 special i mean i've got experience you know this has just come from experience of doing it i haven't gone off and done loads of there there, there isn't much research on um it's something i'm planning to hoping to fund start to fund soon actually is is, is actual research on those types of extracts because if, if, there aren't um research papers on them the same way that there are about other things like like essential oils and and some of the waters are well documented now actually but but um this is just something that um i've worked with and just have have had this feedback from people you know and it's it does just seem to connect people into that into their into their true selves and they're they're happy you know, they're really happy, buoyant, lit up selves. It's lovely. Yeah. And, and like you say, it's 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 so accessible. Like yeah. Not not everybody's gonna be able to go out and get a still and make essential oils. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, you can go and buy them. Obviously, they're they're available now. But 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 the the contact that you have when you've gone out and gathered those roses and made that oil, I just and then you're rubbing it on your yeah. own skin. In, in a much more sort of full-on hands-on way because you, you want to put plenty of it on rather than this tiny little drop of essential oil. Yeah, I just think yeah. there's so much sort of um, hands-onness about that and accessibility. I'm actually just writing, I've got a deadline today, I'm actually just finishing off an article about um, how I think it's actually self-care for practitioners when we make right. these things ourselves because okay, yeah. my preferred method for making the infused oils is actually I do them in a in a bowl over a pan of simmering water and it takes two or three hours to extract and the smell in my workroom when I'm making those is divine and because I've had 
such experiences with them with 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 people using these oils and, and how they they help them in terms of their emotions and, and all the rest of it. I'm convinced that is self-care for us being in that environment while they extract, you know, it's so balancing, but uplifting and, and optimistic. I just love it. You know, I, I, I yeah. love them. And yeah, it's, and it's so safe, you know, I mean, roses, we, you know, we can, as long as they're not sprayed, bloody, bloody, blah, we can, we can eat them. They're, they're a wild food. Um, they're a very safe one. Carrier oils are just cooking oils, so sunflower oils. If you can make, if you can make chips in it, you can. It's very safe to put on your skin. And the same with meadow sweet. It's very safe. So I love that um, they can be so profound and so effective. But they're really, really, really safe to go and and use as well. People don't need to be frightened of them. And and they're abundant. You know, these are plants that are abundant uh they're they're just absolutely there's you don't quite find one rose or or one meadow sweet flower you know there's fields full of meadow sweet uh, and there's uh, the roses cascade the plants droop with them so it's just um there there's just so much love from them you know i always say that on my walks i remember taking a walk one of my courses years ago and people just being amazed by how much there was. And I said, yeah, and you know what? This is our environment trashed. Imagine what it would be like if we looked after yeah. it, you know? This is, this is it. It's never been in as bad a state as, as it is now, but, and yet it's, it's prolific. So if we start looking after it, what a world it could be, you know, what place it could be. The potential's it's enormous. Just, I just had this thought that like what's happened, you know, <clears throat> going back to the uh, industrialization thing mm. is, is it's almost like the powers that be sort of ushered all the people into the city so they could commit these crimes in the countries when no one was looking you know, and, and, yeah. and create this kind of wasteland you know people people coming out into the countryside they think they're, they're, they're oh I'm gonna go out to the countryside and but what most of what they're seeing is a green desert it's yeah. it's yeah, it's, it's sprayed. It's so life. heavily sprayed. It's. It, it, I mean, it's arguable that you're that you're safer picking the things you find in the city because of the yeah. the amount of agricultural sprays that, that are out, out in the countryside. And I always just like, who who did that? Who created that trick? Who convinced people? Uh, this really gets me. Who convinced people that that it, that um, you can poison food and water and land and that we'd all be hunky-dory? I mean, it's just completely illogical. You know, every generation, you know, every time in history has got something where yeah. people went along with it and it's just so catastrophically stupid. You look back and you go, ha, 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 who could they possibly have thought that? This is our thing. <laughs> this is our, you know, people will look back and go, they poisoned food and water and land, and then they wondered why they were ill, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. but it's a, I think it's a case of everybody has their price, you know, you, 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 yeah. I, I was just thinking that, yeah, who, who, could, who could do that, you know? And, and you have this picture of somebody standing there going, um, uh, it'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is perfectly safe. Giving somebody a sort of deadly something or other, be okay. Yeah. And and but but it it's it's um it's a bit more than just a a, a cheeky chappy convincing people with, with with that kind of banter. It what it is is everybody has their price because because what what they've sold it to us with 
is is cheapness and convenience you know that's yeah. the thing right so now you know i can i can fill my freezer up with absolute crap because you know it's so cheap because it's so mass produced yeah and and the, and and they can do this this trick with a with a piece of land and say look how many tons of stuff i got off of this many acres obviously the green revolution has transformed everything forever this is better than what came before whilst this this accounting trick of like we're going to conceal the the actual cost of this in terms of the damage to biodiversity the damage to human culture the damage to to um to the soil and uh, and the damage to bodies that ingest that stuff um <clears throat> we're going to conceal all of that stuff and, and then the carbon you know in fact how much diesel needed to be burnt in order to to make that happen and to produce the fertilizer and produce the pesticides and all of that stuff is concealed and then it says yeah but it's cheap in it yeah and it's easy yeah. it's not cheap and easy don't you don't you don't you i mean otherwise you'd have to do all this work and you'd have to spend this extra money you wouldn't be able to buy your your, your, your holiday to spain and, and things like that you, you, know, yeah. do you know what i mean you'd have to go without you don't want to go without do you oh maybe you just better be quiet about the pesticides and be quiet about that you know that's what it is it is it, it, it's it's it, it's kind of the other side of the coin, isn't it? In a way, like you said earlier, like the, the thing that fueled the industrial thing was people with, with a huge hunger for, 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 for cash, you know, wanting more money. But, but they, they've tricked us with the same thing, basically, because it's, it's, they bought us with, with, with the fact that, um, uh, you know, we, we, we want to spend our money on something else other than food and, and, and other than yeah. what it what, there's a there's a saying here a wise woman i know says it's better to pay the farmer than the doctor you know yeah yeah um it's the two for one get, get it cheap but oh but it's cheap and i find when you when you teach foraging um and, and people are new to it then then they'll come back and they'll say oh but what about pollution and and picking things from next to the roadside and all the rest of it you know I'm, I'm worried about that and um what i say to people this comes back a lot the the pollution question comes back really quickly when people start to um think about foraging for for food or or, or herbs for medicine or whatever and and what i say to them is um you know, just because something is cultivated doesn't mean it's growing away from the road. It's it's frequently yeah. I've seen it fruit farms and yeah. things right next to the dual carriageway. It's just that when you buy it from the supermarket, it's not in it's not in a package that's got a that's got a photo of a busy road on it and saying this that these raspberries are yeah. covered in fumes from lots of cars. You know, and what happens is. When you start to go out and, and look at picking things for yourself foraging then you become you become aware of these issues that are masked by buying things from shops and, and by packaging uh, and so you you start to think of, see the impact of pollution and, and you know cars and and whether it's been sprayed and all the rest of it and it takes away these steps that disconnect us from our, our food supply and yeah. the more you break that down, the more you connect people into it and realize what's going on. And then the more people will want to change things instead of hearing, instead of it being abstract, instead of it being abstract that this is how modern farming is and, and this is wrong or this is pollution. These are pollution statistics over here and that's wrong. It's, it's the more steps there are between the person and that, the more abstract it is from them. But when you start to 
just show people a few leaves to go and pick to add into their salad or things to rustle up for a cold remedy or whatever and then they start to see where they grow and and where they are and that's when they understand um they connect into that and they understand the the issues that there are with with food production yeah i mean it's all about us coming back out to see what actually is going on you know the the the, the, the We've been ushered into the cities. You just, you know, you just go in there, and we'll, we'll take care of food out here. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It'll be all right. It's cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. Remember, it's cheap. Don't forget, it's yeah. cheap. Don't worry about it. Don't think too much about it. Yeah, you just, you just eat. That's your job. Yeah. Spend. Eat. We'll do the food. Yeah. But, but then we start sort of creeping out of the city and 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 sort of noticing things. Hang on a minute. As you say, you suddenly become ask those questions about the leaf that you foraged that you never thought to ask about the cauliflower that you bought. I mean, we've got, we've got places out on the Isle of Thanet, busy roads running right through fields. Yep. And they're all growing brassicas, which brassicas yep. is one of the worst ones for taking up heavy metals, you know. And you just think, well, yep. how is this legal? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there at least ought to be a 10-meter margin or something either side of the road that, that you're not allowed to grow cabbages on, but off they go. Food Standards yep. Agency has nothing to say about that, you know. Yeah, I know. It's it's not on the plastic packaging or on the bag in the supermarket, so people don't see it unless they come out. You know, I, I've seen it. I, I'm just, the soft fruit next to the, I mean, how absorbent is soft fruit, you know, next to, uh, next to, uh, well, it's like that. I, yeah. Um, now, I hate to do this because this is, this is such a, such a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a contradiction. Um, I've got to contradict you. You could see if you can contradict me back. It's just, <laughs> I, I want people to feel safe if they can, uh, where, where, where things are not, you don't need to worry. So let me tell you about a study and, and see, if, see what you think. So the Food Standards Agency did a study of, of exactly that fruit by the side of the road. You can tell me it's okay. I am. <gasps> right, okay. So, I mean, please contradict me if this is wrong, but I've been telling this story for years just because I want, I want at least, like, if it is safe, we can, we can eat it. So what they did is they tested blackberries. I think it was, uh, let's just say blackberries. It might have been other fruit as well, but it was definitely blackberries. And I believe it was in London by a very busy, polluted road. Firstly, the heavy metals don't go up into the fruit. That's what they found. Ah. So whatever it is about heavy metals, they're somehow binding to things that go into leaves. There's probably a perfectly logical explanation for that. Yeah. But it doesn't go up into the fruit. And the second thing you'd be worried about would be the particulate matter settling on and, and polluting them that way. But they said it was so negligible. And they were surprised. They really expected. They, they weren't sure about the heavy metals, but they thought well, there'd definitely be something about the fumes settling on the fruit and yeah. going in. And, but they said it was happening at a very negligible uh, level. So, I mean, what do you trust the food standards agency? But, but I took that as a license to to uh, to stop worrying about fruit by the side of the road. I still yeah. definitely worry about leaves by the side of the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I I don't. What I say to people about about the about the pollution and foraging issue is the ideal place that our food should be coming from is organic land that's that's 
way, way far away from the road, you know, in terms of pollutants. So it's not got pollutants from agricultural sprays or agricultural sprays on neighbouring uh, land. And it's not being covered in car fumes from huge amounts of traffic. But who, you know, very few of us live that way. I don't live that way. You, you know, I'm not in, out in the middle of organic land. Um, but uh, it's um, so what we need to do then is make our own decision about yeah. what we consider to be the best thing for us to do. And um, because unless we're living out in that environment, then anything that we're going to consume is going to be is some sort of compromise, you know, whether it's coming yeah. from the shop or, or it's us going out and getting it ourselves. And to come back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where I was describing the red clover growing up through the litter, I mean, mm. I, 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 I picked those things when I lived in the city and I used them. And for me, the, the benefit of the plant far outweighed the, the pollutants that it was in contact with that that stage that was the thing I was the yeah. happiest to do but everybody has got to make their own decision about that so it, it's about being aware uh, about how things are are produced and um but yeah in an ideal world it, you know it would be growing in 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 a clean environment but we've we've not got that so we're all just going to have to do the best that we can with the resources we've got and what I tend to do with people in terms of their health or anything else is move them, you know, here's where you are, here's the absolute ideal and how can we just slide it along the scale a wee bit? So Close. that's in terms of eating healthier or, or whatever it is, you know, rather than, you know, in terms of food production, the, 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 the ideal is this, it's growing in clean land well away from, from anywhere, any pollutants, but so few of us in, in modern life have access to that, me included, you know? I'm making those decisions all the time for myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm aware you've got your book deadline, and I've I've got a massive pile of seaweed I've got to go and try in a minute. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you about one other plant because it's 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 sort of so prominent at the moment. Um, uh, and I just wonder what what your thoughts are about um, about this plant. It's rose bay willow herb. What? what oh, okay. Yeah. Just, I've been harvesting it this week and making tea and I uh, just feel sure you know a bunch of stuff. That, that, yeah, uh, do you know, that, that grows prolifically and, do you know, I haven't used it because it's very astringent and there are ah. loads. So it's, so it's one that's used in, in herbal medicine for its astringency. So you might put it into a mixture if somebody has irritable bowel or, you know, in some sort of digestive mix with other things like meadow sweet and actually it's it's becoming very popular in in natural skincare as well but um i haven't used it because there are so many other plants growing where i live that have that effect so i would use silverweed um tormentol okay. those potentillas yeah, yeah. Um, again, uh, what else do I use? There's, there's just loads of them um, that do that, that kind of thing already that I'm, that I'm using. Um, but I am going to start um, working with that plant because um, I do, I, in normal circumstances, I come over to London to teach as well and there's, it's, it's abundant there. So I'm going to start working with it here um because it's a it's a good one to show when i'm over in in the city where there might be you know there might not be the same amount of silverweed or whatever that i mean there's just fields full of that stuff where i where i am so um 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, um, it's a lovely plant to work with and, um, it's, it's just so prolific, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely, I always like the ones that are just prolific and I just think they teach us so much because these are the things that they don't require any cultivation. They don't require us pandering to them and, and, and yeah. going out, yeah. you know, spraying them with different treatments to stop them getting different diseases. They're just there and they're, they've adapted and they're thriving and all they require is that we just ignore them and don't interfere with them. And where I am, it's, there's just fields full of silverweed and, and meadowsweet. And I remember going out walking, oh geez, a decade ago or something and just saying to the people I was with, look at this, this is just absolutely full of wild food and herbal medicine and nobody knows that it's here. And that just seems crazy to me. So the more you can look at what's thriving anyway, I think especially now that the climate's changing, it's just it's more and more of a case for look at what is thriving what's adapting because traditional crops it's becoming harder to cultivate them in lots of places around the world as weather patterns change and there's less water or there's not enough sun or whatever um i, I think look at what's thriving in the wild because life life adapts you know life isn't rigid life is designed to expand and cross and adapt and thrive it's just designed to thrive and people can get really fixated on environmental problems but they, they it's it's like they've, they've blocked out the bit that that life adapts and finds ways around mm. things mm. and it is just now more than ever pay attention to what's thriving where you are there's because this is what we're going to need to work with you know uh, and um it's uh yeah look at look at what's thriving because um there's there's so many lessons in that for us yeah so let me know how you go on with it and i will go and do some homework on that one as well it's been on my list to try out this year because I just, as I said, I've used used it just using other things that have the same function. Well, I'll I'll, I'll explain what what what's sort of drawing me to it so much. One mm. one is like you're saying, it's the abundance, especially you know around here we see quite a lot. But when we went to Scotland last year, um, it was it was um, around about this time of year, and. I just couldn't believe it, like because we did quite a lot of driving around, and just how much meadowsweet and rose bay willow herb we saw, and I just thought, you know, we need a culture to emerge around these plants. You know, little little cottage industries. I mean, I've just started getting into um, into into herbal teas the last couple of years. I mean, you know, worked with a lot of plants that you could put in herbal teas, but yeah. I never drank herbal teas. I just just never did. But I've got a real taste for meadowsweet tea. I do a, do a meadowsweet leaf and flower combo, which, which is really nice. And a friend of mine um, brought some, some rose bay willow herb tea down last year that he'd lovingly sat and just done this thing where you roll the leaves to bruise them a little bit and they oxidize and, and then you dry, dry it all. And, and uh, my, my, um, my friend Anu from... from uh, Lapland has done a lot of research on teas and how you can do that oxidation thing. And she's got this amazing cheat that you basically shove it in the freezer overnight. Oh. And then that does the oxidation. You get it out the next day and the cells are broken down and you've got what you wanted just by doing that. 
but it might not be like for like for some of the traditional methods yeah. the same result but it's a pretty good result and yeah. and, and they that people are now making teas on large scale using that method in in that blend um so yeah. anyway rosebud with a herb tea um i found really delicious and this this year i'm making a bigger batch and i've and i've done the uh, freezing method but yeah. the reason why uh, I'm, I'm motivated to, to drink that really often, it's another aspect of, of, of safety, actually. So, so we were talking about herbs soothing and making you feel safe. But, you know, as a guy, knowing that there's a, there's a, there's a threat to, um, to the male body of, of prostate cancer, yeah. Rose Bay Willow Herb um, has got really good sort of folk medicine yeah. track record with prostate cancer, hasn't it? So, so I'm... It makes me feel safe to drink that on a regular yeah. basis. It's really greatly increasing my chances as a guy of not succumbing to that as as a as a threat to health and life. So, yeah, that's my other reason. Yeah, that's um, rosebay, willow herb, and nettle nettle root are the are the two sort of local uh, plants that we would use for prostate problems. Oh really? Nettle root, oh, that's yeah, nettle root tinctures. Uh, do I have no nettle nettle root tinctures the uh, the other local one. And I think, um, you know, you know, cancer is the modern ep epidemic. You know, it's getting to one in two people that 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 get it. But I, I but I think the thing about where there's some sort of research or tradition with with plants is that we can at least feel that we're doing something we can at least feel that we're we're doing something that is you know fingers crossed pre preventative rather than just being at, the, at the, the mercy of this massive thing that you know so so um yeah it's it's just it's it it's taking it's taking these simple everyday steps to nourish yourself you know this is one of the things I love about this is it's really simple stuff we don't need people to go off and live a, a perfect life it's lots of people taking really simple steps on a regular basis is what's going to change the world and make it better not a handful of people going off and living perfectly uh, and um, so it, it is as simple as, as uh, you know, changing the world one bottle of cordial at a time or, or one cup of tea at a time. Uh, and uh, herbal mm. teas, people, people will quite often say to me, because people are so obsessed with doing the right thing now, you know, they'll say, but what's the best? But what's the best thing to take? But what's the best way to take it? But what's the best extract? And surely teas can't be that great. And I'm like, no, teas are like proper strength medicinal teas. So that's herbal infusions. They, they bear absolutely no resemblance to herbal tea bags because herbs aren't, tea and coffee are very concentrated, but herbs aren't. So, you know, you can get a, a cup of ordinary tea from a, a bag, but but not a herb, you know, that's the, the dosage of herbs in a little tea bag might be a dosage for a mouse, but it's not for a human being, you know. So herbal tea bags are useful in that people aren't drinking tea and coffee or, or fizzy drinks or whatever, but they're not in anywhere near a therapeutic dose. When you start to make your own nourishing herbal teas and infusions, they are they they're so flavorful you just feel such benefit from them the range of flavors is is lovely and if you're drinking half a liter or a liter of of some sort of nourishing blend of herbs every day then that's 
half a litre or, or a litre less tea and coffee you're having. So I actually argue a lot of the time that they're much more beneficial than uh, things like tinctures where you'd only be taking drops or teaspoons and can carry on with your bad habits every day. I, th I think herbal teas are um, hugely um, um, beneficial and therapeutic because you have to spend a wee bit of time making them you have to spend that time drinking them and um, it's that volume of good stuff you're taking in which which means you know more good if you do more good then there's less room for the bad stuff and some of the bad things fall away or you know then we're yeah. doing them at such a level that it's insignificant and it doesn't matter you know so I just find um, I love herbal teas and they're the, they're, they're, they're the most inexpensive form as well of medicine. If you pick them yourself, then it's just your labor to go and get them. Or if you're buying dried herbs, dried herbs are inexpensive ingredients. So they're, they're great. You know, they're low energy to you just chuck them in. I've got my thing there that I chuck them in to dry. You know, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if it would stop raining, if it would stop raining, I could go and get some more. It's been raining for about six weeks. <laughs> really? Oh. oh we could do with some Look of how soggy everything is. Look how I got soaked going out to pick that this morning. But yeah, it's been it's been bad since the middle of May. Yeah. There it's we go. Funny. So you 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 you're saying about like if if you have this, you won't have that, and you know, and and. You know, we've had this discussion in our house about why, um, you know, certain foods I'm trying to edge us away from. Like, we eat far too much pasta, for example. And and we worked out this thing, well, if you, um, well, not we worked out, but we took on board this piece of information that if you let the pasta cool down and reheat it, it becomes a complex carb. So like you're not getting such a spike with the, with the sugar when you eat it. Oh. Um, I said, okay, fair enough. But the point is still, when we eat that meal, what's what we're ingesting is is the huge bulk of it is just starch. Whereas if we made that meal with with more complex foods, and then we put lots of different ones in, you know, a few beans, maybe a little bit of pasta, and and then some carrots, some onions, and seven different wild plants, and, and maybe a little bit of meat if we want that, and, and you know, all of a sudden the number of different organisms whose complex chemistry has contributed to that dish. So we've got a whole array of different cocktails of complex chemistry. And then when we eat, what's in our stomach is that incredible diversity. Mm. And that's, that's what we're sort of edging towards. So it's just, just like substituting in some part of what you ingest as being another species, and especially mm. a wild species. And, and, and it is just when you see that, that fabric of life that, that you were extolling earlier, like the, 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 in various different ways, you know, the life-giving energy and the flourishing and, and all of that. And we, we know that it comes from, from the many, many things working together to create this, this tapestry. So what I was thinking when you were talking about, well, get that, that tea in, you drink that, make that once a day. They're all like little threads, you know, like yeah. we, we, can have, we can have one thread and then we can have another little thread rather than trying to fix it all tomorrow you know let's just have this total new lifestyle that's that's got everything good and no bad stuff and you know no let's just weave one more thread in yeah one little thread one little habit of you know like i try and leave this this pot of dulse on the table 
Um, yeah. And it gets put away because it's conceived as clutter by both my daughter and my wife. So <laughs> dull, back out of the cupboard. So then we just sprinkle a little bit of dull seaweed on 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 the meal. Just it's just the opportunity to have that little thread of just a little pinch of that. Yeah. An extra element of another plant with all of its uh, its goodness. You know. That's it. Yeah. Lots yeah. lots of different things bringing their own bits and and the the variety. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really great to talk to you. You too. Thanks. Um, Thanks ever so much. It's uh, we never know what we're going to talk about. It could go off in any direction. So <laughs> there we are. Thanks so yeah. much for having me.